Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. I think, this no, I, think, I think this notion that it's a suicide mission for, for Democrats in Trump-leaning states to vote against a pro-corporate, anti-choice, anti-collective bargaining uh, nominee is ridiculous. The fact of the matter North is... North Dakota? In, well, in many of these states... West you Virginia. may Yeah, but in many of these states, you may, you may have a uh, public who likes Trump, but the polling also tells you that they don't mind a senator who is going to be a check on the... Would you tell Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota with a small population, tell- don't run on local issues, vote with their, your party on this and see how it goes. I wouldn't I wouldn't tell uh, Heidi or Joe or any of them to do anything. They're going to have to make their own decision. But I'm going to tell you, if you run a nationwide campaign making clear who this nominee is going to be, voters all across the country are going to have problems with the kind of well, decisions he or Robert, let's go back to the way it would think, because this will be over sequent. There's going to be hearings. They're going to be all over television. Mm. Welcome to the program. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right, American Family Radio, AFR.net. Uh, you can get over there and read the articles. We have columns up by the hosts on the program. And uh, you can go to urbanfamilytalk.com and register for our Marriage and Family Conference, August 17th and 18th. We'd love to see you there. So what are we going to do? Uh, the end of the world, apocalypse, you know, wailing, gnashing of teeth, you know, burning of, uh, uh, you know, in effigy. Um, it's, this guy is kind of, he's much more moderate than I would have expected, and the reason I say that is because Judge Kavanaugh actually issued a interesting opinion um, that contrasted sharply with the argument made by the states of Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Missouri, Nebraska, Ohio, Oklahoma, and South Carolina, who all, all of those states submitted amicus brief, uh, which was su- presented to the court. And they were arguing that the Supreme Court precedent did not, in fact, recognize a right to abortion in the United States for an illegal alien. And that's the case that is probably going to end up being uh, pivotal in the questioning by the Senate during the process. People on the right are going to ask him exactly what did you mean when an illegal alien enters the country and they're pregnant, that they have a right to an abortion just because they're in America? Are you saying that every person who enters the country illegally has the same constitutional rights and privileges and protections as citizens of this country? Because if that's what you mean, that means they have the right to keep and bear arms. They have the right to the First Amendment. I mean, it, it's kind of crazy, don't you think? That's just put one toe on American soil. All of a sudden, you're an American. Since when? This is what he believed. And, and I'm by no means coming out against him, but I'm definitely sharing with you some of the more troublesome rulings that he's made. And this was uh, an opinion, Garza v. Hargan. He dissented. This was last October, so it's recent. Kavanaugh argued that, uh, you know, you have to accept the government's assumption regarding existing Supreme Court precedents. And that's one of the things that they're going to use to say that he's a good pick and that, you know, pro-abortion people shouldn't be concerned about him because he believes in stare decisis, which is, you know, precedent rules. Um, if, If there's a precedent, you have to defer to that. And that's interesting, but, you know, give me a break. Think of how many liberals on the Supreme Court of the United States have uh, helped to bring about ridiculous decisions. If we allowed precedent to stand, I wouldn't be sitting here doing this radio show because I would still be the property of some person who decided they wanted to purchase another human being. Come on. That, that's, we can't have it just be about precedent. It has to be about what does the Constitution say and what most 
what what decision can the court make that is most likely to uphold the Constitution and uphold the individual rights and liberties of Americans, not people who are here illegally, but Americans? These are these are really this is going to be an interesting uh, process for sure. Uh, So, again, you've got um, you got this whole court decision. You have a lot of things going on with um, the economy. Obviously, this isn't the only important thing that's going on in the country right now, but it's going to dominate the news cycle for at least I'd say probably the the remainder of this week. Um, And so just in case you're not frightened enough, if you if you feel awesome today, let me add a little bit of something to your day that that, you know, will bring you back down to earth. Hillary Clinton talk is emerging that she is plotting a 2020 comeback that Hillary Clinton plans to take on President Trump a second time. Yeah, you hear that silence? That's me going into a little bit of a shock. I'm I might need smelling salts over here. Like what is happening in America? So she says because of President Trump's zero tolerance immigration policy and because she's helped to raise $1.5 million for various groups and she's still doing public appearances, she's got a ne- her next public appearance is the third annual Aussie Fest that takes place July 21st and 22nd in Central Park. Multiple Democrats are stoking the 2020 speculation with fires of talk of uh, challenging President Trump in two years. She's ramping up her public presence. She's ramping up her fundraising appeals. And five times in last month alone, Hillary Clinton told people that her super PAC is working against President Trump. She's still sending out emails to her supporters' inboxes. And uh, people are speculating. I have to say, did we not? Did did we not already kind of say that the Democrats were tired of you know explaining Hillary Clinton, explaining her husband? At least that kind of helps us to understand why we've seen so much of uh, Bill Clinton over the past few weeks. He's been promoting his book, obviously, but he spent the majority of the time not talking about the book or it's, it's uh, you know, the plot. He, he's been mostly talking about Monica Lewinsky and, and how he regrets this and he regrets that. It's pretty amazing. So I, I want to ask you, do you actually see Hillary Clinton running again in 2020? Whoa. I mean, the Democrats, where is your bench? Where is your bench? So uh, the New York Post's Michael Goodwin offered reasons that Clinton may run yet again. She, she would be 73 in 2020. So, I mean, I, I know in years past, someone would have said 73, but people are living into their late 80s now. So she could totally, the, the age isn't the issue. Um, the reason that she's even able to hold this up and, and get credence and still raise money is that there isn't anybody. There isn't anybody on the left who is a clear front runner. They don't have their person, their standard bearer. She could fight off any Democratic challenge in their home turf. She has a proven ability to raise the funds. Um, according to Open Secrets, her campaign committee raised $563 million. Um, it was a billion-dollar race. She did, she did a good job of raising money in 2016. 
I just don't know. I, I think one of the things that's really hurt her is that she's kind of worn out the younger, the younger voters. Younger voters are not going to want Hillary Clinton. They already did a disservice to her by not showing up in droves to vote for her. The women, they uh, didn't show up to vote for her last time in the states that mattered. Now, she might think to herself, well, you know, if I run the same campaign, but I also campaign in the Rust Belt states and I can get some stuff done. But how would she explain her desire for higher taxes and her desire to kind of undo some of the things that President Trump has done? While Hillary Clinton's been running around explaining and talking about how she lost, the president has really brought about a material change in the lives of Americans through tax reform and created an amazing economy. So, of course, there are some negatives for President Trump. I mean, he's going to have some, you know, we've got to get through the Mueller investigation as a country, just get past it. And then he, as the president, has to move past it with new uh, parts of his agenda getting completed. He has to complete new things on the list. But he's moving forward as the president of the United States. She's not just going to be coming from a position of deficiency to run against him. She's literally going to be uh, putting herself in a position where she's, it's just like rehashing everything all over again. And the fact that she's gotten away with stuff that most Americans couldn't get away with, um, it's just, I'm sorry. I just can't believe she's actually thinking about it. It's like, it's like what I said about them never going away. It's not just true. It's, it's almost like she's some kind of robotic clone and she'll be with us like I'll be a grandmother and a great grandmother and Hillary Clinton. will still be running for the presidency. You got to it, it, it's, it's kind of unbelievable. Like it is unbelievable that this is still going on. Um, so it's uh, yesterday we reported on the show that we had this wonderful, um, this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful story about the the entire team of soccer players and their coach actually getting rescued. And I was listening this morning to a little bit of, of uh, news about how they did it and how getting out of the caves meant that the boys were underwater for two hours. They used scuba gear for, scuba gear for their breathing apparatus. But two hours, can you imagine swimming for two hours straight to get back up, you know, out, out of a cave? Can you imagine that? Um, and so they can't eat much. They can't watch TV. They have to wear sunglasses while their eyes adjust to the natural life, natural light. And they have a long recovery ahead. They're eating porridge and they're under quarantine. They have limited entertainment. So they're in the hospital, all of the boys, they've been safely rescued. Um, and they're, they're just, they're just trying to recover um, but they all want pad craw pow, a chicken dish that they've requested to eat. Um, but they won't be able to have that right away because they can't have any spices. So they're having soft, plain, unspiced food like rice congee to aid in their recovery. They get to have bread and just a tiny bit of chocolate. And they've written handwritten notes to their families and, uh, they're asking their families to prepare to make them fried chicken and barbecue pork whenever they're able to get out. But right now they're just, just in a sterilized isolation unit and they're being monitored for infections and contagious diseases. 
and the weakest boys have been allowed to see their families through a glass window. So the doctors are setting up phone lines inside the boys' room so they can speak to their parents. And of the first four boys who were taken out, two were being treated for minor lung infections and were stabilized with antibiotics. And you can see the hospital room that they're in. They're all in one large bay together. So at least they're not completely isolated. They're isolated together in a sterilized isolation unit for one to two days. Um, And it's kind of heartbreaking because, you know, the thing that they probably want the most is hugs from their moms and their dads, but they can't have that just yet. They need to make sure that they're not uh, carrying communicable diseases. And they can watch a teensy bit of TV. Um, But I think probably when when we think about, oh, no, they, they can't watch TV, they can't eat their regular foods, they've been in a cave for two weeks. So they're probably just super glad to be, you know, on solid ground above the, you know, cave level and with people who are allowed to come in and talk to them. And knowing how nurses love to care for people in the hospital, they're probably getting lots of, you know, shoulder rubs and squeezes from the nurses. And, and you know, so they're getting some contact that way. It's just amazing that they were able to rescue them all um, after one of the divers lost his life from oxygen deprivation. So one one life lost, but all of the boys safely recovered. And I wonder going forward if they'll kind of make those caves off limit or, or you know, it, it doesn't sound like the best idea for them to continue to allow those to just be someplace anyone can wander into. Um, this was a very expensive rescue that, the, that they had to mount to get these kiddos out. Um, so, but I'm, I'm just, it's nice to have some good news. It's nice to have the opportunity to share like this wonderful moment where these kids have been rescued. And it's all over. Everywhere you look, there are stories and pictures of the moms and their siblings smiling. They're, they can't see their families yet, but um, they, they'll be able to. So there was a couple of questions where there were a couple of questions shouted at the president um, yesterday. And while he was answering those, of course, you know, they turned to the topic of immigration. And one of the questions had to do with this deadline that a San Diego federal judge set to reunite detained children under five with their families and the Trump administration acknowledged they're not going to be able to meet that deadline. And this just highlights how ridiculous it is. Our current policy where people get to come in and then hang around the country for five to six years. And we're supposed to make that orderly with limited resources. And of course, more people pouring in every day, like we're just supposed to keep that up instead of us implementing a policy that would stop the tide. And that's what we have to do. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, up in our next segment, we're going to have a guest on to talk about the Supreme Court, uh, Cassie Smettel. And I'm excited about speaking with her again about this wonderful uh, opportunity that we have to vet this candidate. Um, so let's, uh, let's go to break. When we get back, we will have Cassie Smettel with us of the Republican National Committee. She's a national spokesperson for them. More Stacey on the right, right after this. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for a health care plan, or more importantly, if you signed up for a plan that you're just not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing program. It's been around for 25 years. They have hundreds of thousands of members all across the country. And get this, over the years, MediShare members have shared more than $2.5 billion of each other's medical bills. Best of all, 
You could save a lot of money with MediShare. The typical savings for a family is about 500 bucks a month. Your savings may be less or more, but think about what you could do with that extra money every month. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. You can join MediShare anytime, so call them today and check it out. Here's the number to find out more. There's no pressure. They're super easy to talk to. Just hit star star 345. That's star star 345. Star star 345. Hello, I'm Pastor Joseph Parker, and this is Daily Time in the Word. It's our goal to help you better understand the great blessing of spending time in God's Word every single day. As always, we appreciate one who understands the Word of God and is seeking to read the Word of God each and every day. Specifically, parents, I want to challenge and encourage you to start the habit of having your children to read three chapters out loud to you each and every day. In addition to that, I want to encourage you to help your children learn and memorize the Ten Commandments, at least in short form. The Ten Commandments are these specifically, found in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself any graven images. Number three, you shall not take God's name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not tell lies. Ten, you shall not covet. It's good to have our children to memorize them and to know what each of them means. That's very, very important. Remember, parents, when you have your children to read the Word of God out loud to you, you're helping them to plant God's precious and powerful Word in their minds and their hearts. And it's good for us to pray the Ten Commandments with our children each and every day. Let's take a moment to do that even now. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Help us to put you first in everything we do. Help us to make no graven images. Help us to not take your name in vain. Help us to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Help us to honor our fathers and our mothers. Help us to not murder. Help us to not commit adultery. Help us to not steal. Help us to tell the truth. Help us to not covet. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for being with us today. UrbanFamilyTalk.com and AFR.net are the websites you can visit and hit the subscribe button right now. It's my pleasure to welcome Cassie Smettle, RNC National Spokesperson and great guests, frequent guests of the program. Cassie, thanks for joining in today. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Sure. So let's talk about last night's momentous events I've seen all over. Everyone's mad. People on the left are mad. They were raging before the announcement. They're totally raging now. There's even a little bit of pushback on the right. People are saying this wasn't the right guy. It should have been Amy Coney Barrett. It should have been one of the others. Um, What do you think about the announcement of the announced pick? Well, first of all, promise made, promise kept. What we know for sure is that President Trump nominated another conservative constitutionalist to serve on the United States Supreme Court, and that was a cornerstone of his candidacy for president, and he has um, held true to his word, and that's very important to so many voters in America, and some came out to vote for President Trump on this singular issue. So another great night for our country and a great night for conservatism, but 
you nailed it. All of this apocalyptic resistance from the left. My favorite press release, I'm sure you saw it, was from the organizers of the Women's March. And they sent out, we oppose X. And they forgot to fill in the blank. But doesn't that just sum up what they and so many others on the left really feel? It doesn't matter who the president nominates, despite that the entire list of people that he was considering were eminently qualified and incredibly well-respected jurists. And yet we oppose X. And that's why the left is going to fail in their efforts to take down this nominee because people see their efforts for what they are, which is just partisan hackery. So I got to admit, when I saw that early this morning, I was like, wait, someone sent this press release out. We all, we, we know how easy it is. You hit send, but that's in our personal email boxes for your, for your advocacy, for your job. You know, the thing that you get paid for, you are thinking you're going to be a little more careful than that. So basically they were prepared to oppose if he'd said, we nominate, uh, who's their favorite person? I nominate Hillary Merrick Clinton Garland. to the Supreme yeah, Court. Yeah, Merrick right. Garland, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton. I nominate somebody. I nominate Barack Obama to the Supreme Court of the United States. Right. So it would have been like, we oppose Barack Obama. Wait, right. what? <laughs> <laughs> because Donald Trump did it. And yeah. isn't that the case with so much of their outrage on the left? It's just because, well, Donald Trump did it, and so therefore we oppose it. And that's exactly the problem that they are having and the problem, the conundrum that they are putting their members in. Um, and again, as we've talked about a number of times, so many of these red state senators, folks up for re-election in states that Donald Trump won handily. And of course, we know in Missouri, Claire McCaskill, Indiana, mm-hmm. Joe Donnelly, and the list goes on and on, Joe Manchin, Heidi Heitkamp. And they are putting them in a horrific position because they're making it really hard for them to get to yes without fear of being, um, you know, completely lambasted by these groups. And they'll be the next ones who are protested and yelled at at a restaurant. Well, um, and yeah, <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm kind of tickled because the Women's March people are usually, you know, they usually have their hair done, they usually have their makeup on, or their head wrap thing. And they're usually doing what they do and, you know, making, making, making it work, making America you know, leftists again. And with this uh, press release, they literally, you know, they, so they've got um, Washington, D.C. In response to Donald Trump's nomination of XX to the Supreme Court. And, and, and then they go on. Trump's announcement today is a death sentence for thousands of women in the United States. Really? A death sentence? Trump is following mm-hmm. through on his most threatening campaign promises. Really? White patriarchal supremacists and all who enable them. That's you and me, Cassie. I mean, I'm just <laughs> like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Why are they in America? <laughs> you know what I think? Of? You know how sometimes you read a letter and an email from someone and you think, and they use all these really big superfluous words, and you think, did they just right-click the mouse for the thesaurus the whole time for synonyms, synonyms? And when I read or hear you reading that release, I think, did they just right-click for resist synonyms? You know, how many of all of these key phrases can we get in? It's like they're trying to, you know, win a game or hit a limit. It doesn't say anything. All it says is, at all costs, we obstruct, we are opposed to, we will resist whatever Mm -hmm. Donald Trump says. And that's why they're losing, because even Democrats who are mainstream Democrats, folks who don't spend their days going out 
and joining the resistance, folks who, you know, have families to provide for and jobs to tend to, they see this and go, oh, come on, really? Again? You know, as I heard someone say today, I didn't know Code Pink was in the anti-Supreme Court justice business. I mean, they just go after every issue. And after a while, it's like the boy who cried wolf. You don't know what they stand for anymore. You just know they're against everything. So. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I think is really interesting is that the change, there's a shift that's that's occurring. And I think we're watching it, but we're also not as cognizant of it. And it's it's because it's so strange, which is, so I, I was talking a little bit ago on the show about Shannon Bream canceling her live show mm-hmm. from the, the steps of the Supreme Court. And I, I don't know, Cassie, I feel like, you know, Shannon Bream's hardly a cupcake or a snowflake. Like, she really felt it couldn't be done there. And it's a huge, it's a huge, like, it's a lot of inconvenience for her to say, we're going to do it, the show from there, and everyone to plan to do it from there. And they set everything up all over. You know, it's not like a flipping a switch. They had a lot of preparation they had to do. And then she had to change her mind because it didn't feel safe. So they had to move everything back. So she didn't take the decision lightly. But that's the decision she made. And I don't think that's getting enough news coverage. Like these Women's March people should also have in their email, click here to learn more. And also, by the way, we don't condone violence or threatening activities in the protests. And we want to make sure that all women feel safe as, you know, purveyors of a women's movement. Every woman, regardless of political ideology, should feel safe in these spaces as we contend for our ideas. But they never say anything like that. That's right, and I couldn't agree with you more. And to the lack of coverage for that, I mean, I just couldn't. I I found out about it on Twitter. I read Santa's tweets and just then had to go and check that that's what they had done. And I thought, if this had happened on CNN, every reporter, every court journalist would have been out there saying, a violation of our First Amendment rights and on the steps of the Supreme Court, no less, to shut down the free press. And yet, that's what they did. Yes, I understand that Fox News is a conservative outlet, but anyone who watches Shannon Bream knows that she is, A, this is her Super Bowl. I mean, she is just Mm -hmm. a lover of the law and the judicial process, and her coverage of it is to the letter of the law. You know, there's not a, she's not out there touting a bias or anything. She just gives phenomenal coverage on these issues, and that they would shut that down. And the irony is not lost on me that they would shut down freedom of press on the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court and think that that is their right is incredible to me, a sad state of affairs for their movement. And again, why their movement, I think, continues to lose um, and is losing steam because that's not what people think is the way it ought to be. We say, you know, I don't have to agree with Rachel Maddow, but I support her right to have her show and espouse her opinions. And that that only counts for the left when someone on the right wants their freedom of speech their freedom of press that's not allowed they're not allowed to that they're not entitled to that and that's the problem with the hypocrisy of the left movement it is cassie and i, I you know it, it kind of makes me feel like so obviously i disagree vehemently with rachel maddow but i wouldn't want her to ever feel threatened like afraid because of what she's believing uh, or right. or what she's saying on on her show, like she should never feel like when she's coming out of her space, you know, where where wherever her show is produced, and you know, you leave and you go to, you know, get, I don't know if they send a car for her, if she drives herself or takes the metro, whatever whatever her process is, she should never feel like, oh wait, I can't go out here, or where's the security? And I don't understand why 
we're so adamant about that. We're always saying, look, you know, the, this is a civic type of a process. We're talking about our politics here. This is not physical. It's really a, a debate of ideas. And on the left, they just, it, an organization that's supposed to be the premier leftist organization on behalf of women, they even have mm-hmm. the word women in their name. All of their marches are women's marches. But they don't see the need to kind of step outside and say, look, we disagree with Shannon Bream or we disagree with Fox News. Because The thing with Shannon Bream is she's really kind of the old school reporter type. Like she's just right. asking hard questions of everyone. And that should be something the left should appreciate the way that they constantly castigate Fox News. But they don't seem to have a, a compunction to really defend anyone unless you're on their side. And that that stinks. I, I don't think regular Americans, even Democrats, I don't think you know, when you get past the beltway and the activists that they, mm-hmm. that they appreciate that. I don't, I don't think they have agreement from regular everyday American women on treating other women badly just because of their politics. I couldn't agree with you more. That is, this movement is such a bubble movement. I was talking actually with a reporter from a, a very mainstream, if not a, a, a unapologetically left outlet, although this, he's a good reporter, and I was asking him, you know, what are you seeing about the election this November, and what is your sense? And he started citing to me, you know, the Women's March and what you saw in Virginia and how those women really rallied and they got those um, lower-level state house seats and all. And I thought, Virginia, that's a suburb of D.C. Talk to me about Missouri. Talk to me about Indiana. What are you seeing in, in real America? You haven't learned your lesson if you think that a suburb of D.C. is representative of the country. And and that's the problem is that these folks really, the ones who withstood the test of time, you know, as they say, most folks have to go back to work. Mm-hmm. But they are here because they live in New York, they live in D.C., and they're congregating at the Supreme Court steps because that's in their neighborhood. And they are so out of touch with everyday Americans. And to your point, they have not consulted with everyday women to say, do we think this is the most effective message or is this resonating in your communities? I think they, they think they know best and that's why they've continued down the path they're on. But I think it leads like so many of these other movements, Occupy Wall Street is what always comes to mind. You know, it's kind of hot to trot for a little while, but because they never touch base with real America and real Americans, it just peters out. Well, and the other thing with Occupy Wall Street and and then with uh, Black Lives Matter and a number of the movements, they rise to prominence, but then the behavior of their members becomes national news. You know, uh, with Occupy Wall Street, it was the public defecation in those tent cities. They they stop people from doing their regular everyday business. And um, with 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 Ferguson, I mean, you burn a town down. That's not a good way to start a protest movement. And, and it just degenerated from there. And I really feel like they imploded when the sniper fire, you know, destroyed mm-hmm. the lives of five police officers and their families. Mm-hmm. That's when I think the, the they just fizzled out. And I don't see them coming back. And it's a shame because there are conversations that we can have in this country uh, about the role of corporate America, the you know the responsibilities of police officers to their constituents and communities, it's not that I'm unwilling to have the debates about thorny issues, but I think every time it erupts into violence, we see Americans really pull back and uh, just you know 
it's just the end of, of these. And they keep they keep like putting on a different front. Like it's like throwing on a costume and then rising back up. But you can smell the stench of Occupy Wall Street from a mile away. You're like, oh, that's just another version of Occupy Wall Street. Away. <laughs> You're right. Same day, different hat, different mm-hmm. size. But that's right. We, when I worked on, and by the way, incredibly well said, I'm, I'm with you on that. These, there are important conversations that should be had, and their antics end up minimizing those important conversations or mm-hmm. um, drowning them out. But I remember when I worked on Capitol Hill, and you'd sit in the hearing room or watch the hearing rooms, and you knew the ones that were going to get protesters. But they just come up with anything to protest. It was not a surprise. Oh, okay, today it's healthcare. Oh, tomorrow it's the war. Oh, okay, now, oh, now it's the internet. Okay, you know, it's fine. Because that's their business. They're professional protesters. And that's what I think has changed, perhaps, since uh, generations before mine, where that was really your passion and that was your cause, and you might have devoted your whole life to it. Now you have folks who have become professional protesters, and that takes um, that takes away from the genuine enthusiasm for a cause and frankly gets um, overshadowed or overshadows those who really do have something to say and something to stand up for and and a conversation that they are entitled to have. But um, And I think that's what we're seeing last night on the Supreme Court steps that caused Shannon Breen to move away, to move back to her studio. That was not an organic uprising of passionate Americans. That were, those are paid protesters from a paid organization, uh, and that's how they make their lives is to disrupt, um, and that's that's the difference. Well, I think um, the the analysis that you just gave is what people should share the podcast. Uh, you know, put put that that salient analysis from Cassie Smetel right in front of anybody who says to you, no, these protests, they're not violent. They don't have any real, you know, there's, there's nothing about it that's bad. Let's just, you know, let's just listen to what they have to say. It's hard to listen when you're afraid and you think you might not right. be safe. And uh, if a Fox News host, someone who's famous, legitimately famous, who, you know, has obviously been in other reporting situations that are legitimately dangerous and came out unscathed, felt uncomfortable and unsafe, then that means they need to reevaluate what they're doing. And uh, I just, I encourage people to speak out about that. And it doesn't have to be a rude, harsh conversation. It just can be the truth. I'm turned off by the animus that's present in these protests. And I just can't listen to what they have to say. And I think people will respond to that. Um, So I want to say thank you to you. You always come on right when the news is at the very top. You have the best analysis ever. And we're just so grateful for your time today, Cassie. Oh, thank you. I always enjoy our conversation so much. And thank you for all you do to, to get a really good um, analysis out there and a good conversation out there for your listeners. It's always so enjoyable as a listener and to join with you. Oh, thanks, Cassie. Cassie Smettle, you are the RNC national spokesperson and frequent guest on the program. Have a great day today. Thank you, Cassie. You too. All right. So we will be back with the last segment of the show right after this. Stay there. Hi, I'm Will Addison. And I'm Miki. From airing the Addisons on Urban Family Talk. We'd like to invite you to the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference coming up August 17th and 18th. 
The list of speakers is amazing. We have Ryan Baumberger of the Radiance Foundation, Dr. Clarence Schuler of Building Lasting Relationships, Abraham Hamilton III, Pastor Bert Harper and his wife Jan, Stacy Washington, Lonnie Poindexter, Pastor Dexter Sanders, and we'll be there too. There's a direct attack by the enemy on marriage and family, and babies in the womb are treated like political footballs instead of life. We want to encourage and equip the body of Christ to fight for the restoration of the family. If we can get our families on track, a lot of society's problems could be solved. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is from Urban Family Communications, a division of the American Family Association. You can learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. I'm Will Addison, director of Urban Family Talk. We desire to be a movement of time tellers. In 1 Chronicles 12.32, it says, The sons of Issachar were men who had understanding of the time to know what Israel ought to do. In these perilous times, God is raising up a people of discernment who will see, pray, and act. We sound the alarm as watchmen. We cry aloud that God's people may be activated for his service. Join the movement at urbanfamilytalk.com. Is God calling you to pursue theological graduate education? What's keeping you from taking the first step? Is it time? What if you could choose from flexible class options? Is it money? What if competitively priced seminary offered academic scholarships? Do you think you're alone? What if your classmates were just like you, balancing careers and families with seminary? Hello, I'm Dr. John Nyhoff, president of Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. Take the first step. Visit wbs.edu. This is Just a Minute with Stacy Washington. Slow down, moms. That sounds pretty counterintuitive, doesn't it? Haven't we all wished to work faster, smarter, and better? But that isn't what God has for us. We have been given life to enjoy abundantly, which means that we must prune our activities for our own sanity. As American culture moves at an ever-increasing speed, God calls moms to slow down and say no sometimes. Not only is there power in doing so, there is relief because we must use our time wisely. We often feel the pressure to say yes because we don't want other parents to question our fitness. This fear leads to overscheduling and stress. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 13 says, The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. Pray about your family commitments and feel free to say no. God will bless you for it. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. But this is the way this president works. His leadership means that things move very quickly, including a momentous and historic decision such as this, nominating his second justice to the United States Supreme Court. Can't tell you who it will be. That's up to the president. But I guarantee you it will be somebody who has fidelity to the Constitution, doesn't make up the laws they go along. In fact, doesn't make up the law at all, <laughs> since that's the legislature's job and it's the judiciary's job to interpret the law. Um, too many judges these days in our federal courts, in my view, are making things up as they go along, legislating from the bench, uh, subject to the, the polls, the protesters, the political whims. Whoa, that's Kellyanne Conway. Uh, you know, she's 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 right there. One of the things that has to happen is the president has to choose someone, make a nominee. He did that last night. Now it's time for the Senate to consider that person. Anyone is free through their First Amendment to protest. 
uh, but we shouldn't be doing so in a way that makes other people, uh, you know, fear for their, their their safety. And it should be done in a way that respects the civic processes that we have here in this country. We we should appreciate that. Welcome back to the program. Final segment of the show today. Uh, glad to be with you. And I hope you're, uh, you know, just moving on through the second day of the work week. I'm certainly excited to be back behind the microphone and, and doing what uh, we love to do here at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And so that was Kellyanne Conway, special advisor to the president. And there's another interesting story about Kellyanne. Uh, Over the weekend, she was at the grocery store and an individual saw her there and decided to accost her and suggested that she needed to get something or other. It it wasn't vulgar, but it was a smart, alecky, catty comment. She said, oh, they have those over on aisle nine. I'll go get some. And she, he, I think he said, you need to get some principles. And she said, ah, principles are on aisle nine. I'll, I'll go get some. And when asked about it afterwards, she said, look, you know, it's, it's not right to confront people when they're out and about trying to, you know, buy groceries. And we all have the right to purchase groceries and just, you know, do the normal things that people do. And she's right. Uh, this crazy activity is, is, it's not beneficial to anyone, the people who are doing it or the people who are the recipients of it. Um, I'm hoping that it dies down. I hope people will get a better grip on their sanity and, and do a better job, um, and hopefully they will. Um, so I, one more thing on the Supreme Court issue. Um, again, there are some, you know, the, the press releases are flying fast and furious and one of them is coming from Catherine Foster, president and CEO of Americans United for Life. And uh, she talks about the strong record of Judge Kavanaugh on the U.S. Court of Appeals um, and that Roe is the quintessential example of judicial activism, which has been criticized on the left as well as the right. And she feels like there's going to be a, a an opportunity for Judge Kavanaugh, if he's confirmed, to make a ruling on Roe v. Wade pretty early on in his term. Um, So the case that is actually moving forward is Nifla v. Becerra. And uh, it's, it's going to be probably the case that's going to be the, the opportunity to make changes to the constitutionality of abortion. I not so sure that this is our guy. Um, Kavanaugh, but we'll see that I'm going to be watching and uh, bringing clips to the program about the process. So whatever we can find, we're going to put that before you so that you can be informed and know uh, what it is that's that's been really important about all of this. Um, And then we'll see. We will see. Right now, I want to pivot over to what the Democrats are running on. Uh, Keith Ellison is a co-chair or assistant Uh, head of the Democratic National Committee, and he's pretty rabidly liberal. He doesn't represent mainstream Democrats, but he's risen to prominence, and he definitely has a voice, and he's a mouthpiece for the Democrats. And he is still on the single-payer health care angle. It's number seven. What if... What if we did these things? We've got to go. We've got to take the message beyond the folks who already know about it. It's so critical. And I'm gonna tell you, we need to run ads pointing out to constituents, people who are not on the bill. I'm not saying lying. 
I'm just saying they're not on the bill. You know the bill that's going to help you a lot? Your congressman's not on it. Just so you don't. Now, some of y'all be thinking, oh, Keith, how could you do that? This is, this is wrong. This is, not, this is not right. You're putting too much pressure on them. <laughs> well, let me just tell you this. If you're not ready to take the heat, you shouldn't be in the kitchen. Really? Uh, it's, this isn't about heat or kitchens. It's about the failure of Obamacare. So if you couldn't run Obamacare, how in the world are you going to run single payer? And why would Americans want any part of that? Why would anyone who valued their own autonomy and the ability to choose their doctor and to direct their own medical care, why would they want any part of Obamacare full-blown? Because what we got was Obamacare-like because it just never really worked the way they intended it to. Uh, I find it kind of shocking that Keith Ellison is still just moving on down the line. I guess, I guess in his mind, the best thing that he can do is just stick with the hardcore leftist ideology working or not. And he, (laughs) he envisions Americans going for it again. Um, you know, deciding yet again that he's going to uh, he's going to speak on our behalf like Obama did, and we see how that worked out. So, on on all of the different uh, fronts, and I'm I, I as I look around all over media, we're seeing just a complete. It's a meltdown. It is a meltdown that is it, it's unprecedented. People are absolutely not going to be able to handle it. It's going to be probably some of the rockiest months we've seen of the president's uh, administration over this Supreme Court pick. Um, And as we look through the news and and hear what people have to say, I just want everyone to kind of get, really get a grip on how unhinged this language has become. Um, Cuomo, the governor of New York, has said, God told me I was a feminist when he gave me three daughters. I, I, there's so much wrong with that. I don't even know where to begin. Senator Casey came out against President Trump's nominee before the pick was announced. That, that's pretty much the standard on this one. And now the Democrats are saying, you know, that the framers of the Constitution never envisioned a Supreme Court justice living past their 50s, and that's why they made them lifetime appointments. So you can see where this is headed. Uh, and, and that's fine. You know, head wherever you'd like. Um, we'll, we'll have to, I guess we'll just have to ride this thing out. In other news, you've got big labor hit with another class action lawsuit because of the Janus decision. So remember, the Supreme Court made a landmark ruling in Janus Uh, And Janus is a case about workers filing suit because they didn't want their union dues going to support one political party. They didn't get to decide where the dues went, and they didn't want to have to be a part of the union in order to be represented in collective bargaining. And the Supreme Court said that because the Democrats usually receive all of the union dues that are designated for political contributions, that it does represent a forced contribution. And so they made that unconstitutional. Well, now 
Washington state workers are filing suit to recover their lost wages from being forced into unions. This is uh, workers in the home health care industry, and they're suing Service Employees International Union Local 775 and the state of Washington to recover money deducted from Medicaid reimbursements designed to fund the care of elderly or disabled people. The state government automatically sent more than 3% of the provider payments to the union, despite the fact that workers never agreed to be union members. The practice, according to the suit, violates both the U.S. and state constitutions. Plaintiffs and class members are not union members and never consented for the union or the state to withdraw union dues or dues equivalent fees from their wages. Yet the state deducted such fees from their pay. So defendants conspired to deprive plaintiffs and class members of their First Amendment rights by deducting union fees from their wages without their clear prior affirmative consent. So for years, Washington State forced such providers many of whom were caring for relatives, to pay a portion of their reimbursements to the union. The practice only stopped when the Supreme Court declared a similar policy in Illinois unconstitutional. Now, that 2014 ruling led to the Supreme Court's June decision declaring mandatory payments to public sector unions, including SEIU, an unconstitutional violation of free speech in Janus. Now, the caregivers are receiving pro bono representation from the Freedom Foundation, which is a pro-free market think tank in the state, and foundation labor expert Maxford Nelson said the policy was exploitative and wrong on every level. And the quote from him is, any business that tried to charge customers without their permission would have the state attorney general trying to shut them down. We believe extracting union dues from caregivers' medical checks without permission is not only unfair, but violates caregivers' First Amendment rights. Whoa. So Local 775 is an influential player in Washington. It has spent nearly $9.5 million on political contributions since 2002 at the state level, and that's according to the National Institute on Money and Politics. Local 775 gave Inslee $7,400 in his 2012 and 2014 gubernatorial campaigns, while the National Union contributed 10000 A spokesman for Governor Inslee, the governor of the state of Washington, declined to comment on the lawsuit, but reiterated the governor's opposition to Janus. Of course he's opposed to it. Local 775 didn't actually return a request for comment on this. So, uh, you know, what's the answer here? Well, the answer is that unions should ask people if they want to be a part of the union. They should get their permission. They should definitely um, receive that permission before actually taking the money. And if people don't want to pay, they shouldn't force them. They shouldn't take the money before they can get their hands on it, thereby removing their ability to consent or uh, refuse to consent. So as we close out the show, I want to... kind of bring this back up with the fight Facebook. There's a huge group called freedom from Facebook and they've been sending out press releases. I get them all the time from them, at least a couple of week about their work on trying to get Facebook broken back into the smaller social media companies that used to exist before Facebook bought them up. And so you've got this group. They're an anti-monopoly group. They, again, they want to break up Facebook And now they've added the top U.S. communications union to their campaign. 
Communication Workers of America joined the Freedom from Facebook campaign calling on the Federal Trade Commission to split Facebook into smaller social media companies. This is according to Bloomberg, which reports that the campaign is arguing that the FTC should take steps to break up Facebook and institute stronger privacy protections and facilitate cross-platform communication. We should all be deeply concerned by Facebook's power over our lives and democracy, and they want to end Facebook's monopoly as it is unfair to the American people, the American people's privacy, and the democracy of this country. What's interesting about it is that the Freedom from Facebook campaign is composed of groups that include Open Markets Institute, Citizens Against Monopoly, Move On Civic Action, Some of Us, which is spelled S-U-M of Us, which all have ties to, wait for it, George Soros. So the Open Markets Institute funders include Open Society Foundation, Soros's philanthropic group to which he has donated billions of dollars. So I totally was reading the Freedom from Facebook uh, press releases and thinking, this is interesting. Sounds like a group of young people who don't like the way Facebook is being run. Well, yeah, it is. People tied to uh, Soros. Move On has received millions from Soros. Some of us partners with the Open Society Foundations as well as the Tides Foundation. That's all Soros stuff. Open Society Foundations are owned by Soros and fund the Tides Foundation. Soros made his views on Facebook and Google clear in an op-ed earlier this year. Here's the quote from him. The rise and monopolistic behavior of the giant American internet platform companies is contributing mightily to U.S. government's impotence. These companies have often played an innovative and liberating role. But as Facebook and Google have grown ever more powerful, they have become obstacles to innovation and have caused a variety of problems which we are now only becoming aware Soros divested his investments in Facebook at the end of last year. So I was totally on board until I heard that. Now what? I tell you, the tangled web that we all weave. Listen, this has been a great show. It's been fantastic to be with you. I'll be back with you tomorrow with more great guests and fantastic content here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.